This is Susanna McMonagall, and you're listening to Season 3 of the 5 to 8 Shift Podcast for Parents. The 5 to 8 Shift Podcast and community exists to educate, inspire, and encourage parents throughout their parenthood adventure. Here, we talk about all the things impacting parents today, everything from mental health to technology to faith teenagers, toddlers, self-care routines, and so much more. We know parenting is tough work, but family life is worth every ounce of effort. We hope you listen in, share with your favorites, and are reminded that you're not alone. We look forward to cheering you on in your own five to eight shift. It's the most important shift of the day. Hey y'all, it's your host Susanna. Welcome to another episode of the five to eight shift. Thanks for being here. Today we have our second episode in our Tech and Family series, and so one of the things I'm doing with season three is trying to do, you know, pick a topic and do a little bit deeper dive on that topic, and so the one that keeps coming up in my circles and in my research and a lot of the things that I'm seeing parents talking about is technology, and so this first series on tech and families, I am loving, and if you missed the first one with Letitia Barr, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it, episode 61. And today, episode 62, I have an awesome interview with Devorah Heitner. Devorah was one of the first people I actually reached out to when I was kind of researching guests who like to talk about this and have a background in tech and families. And so Devorah brings a wealth of knowledge to this conversation. And so she actually wrote a book recently, and it's called ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World. And so what I really like about Devorah's take is it's not really about when do I give my phone, you know, even though that is part part of our conversation. But she really wants to talk about or our conversation is centered around really this idea of like, how do we raise good digital citizens and like they have a phone. And so like, how can we instead of sounding the alarm as parents and being really like fear driven, we can have good conversations, we can teach them how to actually like be in the digital world. And she really makes some interesting points, really things I needed to hear personally about like, there is a lot of fun online and this is how kids are communicating. And so the more we can teach them to do that well, then we can have better conversations. We can set them up for success. And so, you know, talking about checks and balances, talking about, we talk about tech milestones. We talk about how true screen wisdom is really about relationships um, and, and helping kids understand, hey, there's a human on the other end of that text or on the other end of that comment that you're about to post publicly. And so really thinking about ways that we can have our kids thrive online when they're ready. And so two things that we kind of talked about the end of the episode, but I wanted to point out here up front is that Devorah has two resources that I want to share with you guys. One of them is a seven-day family tech reset. So it is a free email mini course. It's seven emails over seven days. You can get it on our website, dvorheitner.com. It's linked in the show notes. And so this is a great way if you're like, dang, I love what she's saying and we could really use some help sort of overhauling how we might approach this or, you know, having some of those really important conversations. This is a great way. It's totally free. You can check it on our website. She's got some great resources. And the second one is she has a PhoneWise bootcamp for parents. And so this is pretty cool. This is a course that it's a four week online course that prepares you and your child for their first phone when you're ready. And so she provided me with a 
coupon that is a coupon code that if you use the link in the email, it's significantly cheaper than if you just hop on her website. Devor Heitner, a lot of research, a lot of work in this area. Y'all are going to love her. She is such a wealth of knowledge. And I just, I love the insight she shares with confidence and compassion and really like trying to raise kind humans and making sure our kids are ready for the digital world which really you know we can stick our heads in the sand and pretend like it's not going to happen or um you know we can really prepare them and so i hope you enjoy this episode if you if you enjoy this episode and you've been around a while i would love your review on amazon or apple or spotify and of course as always share with your friends in real life and on your socials Thanks a lot, guys. Y'all have a great day. Thanks for being here. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the 5 to 8 Shift. This is your host, Susanna, and I am so thrilled to have Devorah here with today. We are, um, you know, in the middle of our technology and family series, and so Devorah has written a couple things and does a lot in this line of work, and so I'm going to let her talk about this. So... Laura, what I'm doing for season three is I'm having people introduce themselves by five sort of rapid fire questions. They're not tricky. Number one, first question in the rapid fire intro is where did you grow up? I grew up in Stamford, Connecticut, outside of New York City. Okay. And where do you live now? I live in Skokie, outside of Chicago. Outside of Chicago. Okay. How long have you lived there? About a year. Okay, cool. Um, What is one of your favorite foods or one of your favorite restaurants? Well, I actually really love this falafel place near my house and I love Middle Eastern food, so. Okay, all right, cool. Uh, If you could only have one for the next 365 days, would you choose movies or music? Oh gosh. I had to throw I think a singer movies. in there. I think movies because there's music in the movies, but I don't know. I might have to, I might, I might think differently if I think about it more. I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Um, fair enough. Um, okay. And so today you're going to be speaking to us about ScreenWise and some upcoming projects that you have. When did you first consider learning or researching more on this topic? Like, was there like an aha moment that happened when you were like, ooh, I got to dig into this? Or was it something that happened more over time? I was a professor and I was teaching 18 to 22 year old students about tech and media in our lives. And I have a PhD in media technology and society. So my whole focus has been like, how does tech affect us? How do we live with tech? How does tech make us you know, the human beings that we are and affect our interactions and our communication. And then I was teaching these young people just at the dawn of like early days of everyone having a smartphone, social media, texting, um, you know, and this is going back like 15 years ago. So it was a really interesting moment. And then my friends were having babies and I was expecting a kid and my son was born in 2009. And so the questions about how as parents do we deal with sharing about our children was were coming up again among both my friends who are media scholars and journalists and other things related to media so we were all kind of thinking about it and parents just really need help and guidance around this topic and so i ended up speaking quite a bit in my own community and nationally and then around 2012 i left my job being a professor and full-time started working on helping parents navigate screen issues with kids because it's just more complicated than it was when we were kids you know the tv 
went off at a certain point and now we have you know bingeable content we have internet search that can bring our kids wonderful and terrible things yeah. and so I, I wanted to really understand this and help other parents and then i wrote screenwise you know years later um and i'm actually writing the second edition of that right now as well as um this new book growing up in public and i just i just started to really understand that this was going to be a huge a huge issue for parents and educators yeah that these kids were really grappling with some stuff that we didn't have to deal with when we were kids. Yeah, you know, and I'm actually a professor myself and do some media history and media literacy. And, you know, sometimes I get in these conversations with people and they say, oh, it's just the same as television was when we were kids, or it's just the same kinds of um, obstacles that our parents have. And I feel like you and I both know that the game has changed. <laughs> And that's probably not quite accurate. Would you agree with that? I would. I, I mean, I also think it should give us comfort to know that we watched a lot of maybe not the greatest content on TV and we didn't that's because true. of paths. Like, it's also good. Like, when parents are like, this YouTube stuff is not the highest and best use of my child's time. And I'm like, that's true. Tell me about Three's Company or whatever you watched when you were a kid. And like, <laughs> was that the highest and best use of your time? And are you okay now? Right. So, so it should be some comfort at the same time. The level of immersiveness, the stickiness, the difficulty with walking mm -hmm. away, the fact that it literally never ends, whereas actually for us TV, you know, if we're old enough, it actually went off the air. And even if we're cable generation, you know, there just wasn't this endless amount of content that maybe we wanted to consume. And we yeah. were competing with more people in the household over the TV versus everyone having their own handheld device. So, yes, it is different. And some of the old, you know, information and data and research that we know about the ways kids can learn from their parents about media are still true. And that's good. Like to know yeah. that actually watching TV with your kids is a great way to support their media literacy. And the same thing is true with playing video games with your kids, like playing video games with your kids is a positive way to engage. So the good thing is we have all these years of research, but yes, absolutely. Our kids are, are in a bit of a different situation than we were in. And so this brings me to my first question I wanted to ask you. And so are parents' worries about technology warranted? Like, are we so extreme? Are we not worried enough? Like, tell me a little bit um, about what you're hearing from parents and whether that actually matches up with some of your research. I think some concern is warranted, but for most families, we don't need to be alarmed. We just need to be thoughtful. We want to be mentoring our kids. We do want to be in a discussion with them all the time. We want to be planning for the next tech milestone. Like we don't want to just get them a phone without thinking about it or let them, you know, play multiplayer games on a public server without really thinking about whether they're ready for that experience. We always want to be cautious and thoughtful but we don't need to be alarmed most of the time. Most of the experiences kids will have in connected conversations, in texting, in playing video games, in social media are not gonna be horrendous. And there's just a learning curve too that some and some mistakes are kind of part of the territory. So I think, I would say parents sometimes over-focus on the wrong things. They're terribly worried about their kids' reputations with social media and they might do well to think more about how will their kids feel when they inevitably see that they were left out, which is more like a price of a ticket experience. Like everyone will be left out. Everyone on social media will see something they weren't invited to, right? Like I was just at a wedding this weekend. It was a small wedding. Inevitably, someone will see the pictures and be like, oh, I wasn't invited to that wedding, right? Like <laughs> Never and that's part of life versus, um, 
you know, will your kid be involved in a terrible scandal that will jeopardize their future? Probably not. Um, will you in your community ever hear about such things? Yes. And so one thing you can do is make a commitment right now as a family not to be part of promoting that, right? So when we see other children and teenagers making mistakes in our community, we don't want to be part of publicizing that, right? So I think that's a really important commitment to make, but we don't need to necessarily obsess with worry about, Yeah. you know, our kids won't get into a fancy college if they post one dumb thing, because um, that's not happening to a lot of people, but the feeling left out is almost universal. And so I think parents Yeah. sometimes over-focus on things they hear in the news and not the sort of day-to-day -day experiences of growing up with tech. You know, so you mentioned like tech milestones. What would some of those be? Like, can you give me an example? Yeah, so the first time you give your preschooler or toddler your phone to play with, that's a tech milestone. Okay. The first time they have their own way to be in touch with friends, whether it's email, Facebook Messenger for kids, texting, that's a milestone. The first time they get their own device, tablet, laptop, anything, gaming device, Uh, first phone, all of those are milestones. First time playing a game on a public server, first time, you know, communicating with friends um, independently, first time having a social account, first time posting someplace public like YouTube or TikTok. These are all milestones that kids grow up with. And I think while not each one of them has to be a huge deal where we'd sort of drop everything to only focus on that, I do think we don't want to just like when your kid says, you know, you're dropping them off at school and they're like, oh, by the way, mom, can I get a YouTube account? You don't that's not a yes or a no. That's like more of a conversation. It's like, do you want to be following people? Do you want to be posting yourself? Let's talk about this. You know, are you eight? Are you 15? Um, what's the editorial policy? Sure, sure. Right. And so, but I think it just happens so fast. A kid goes to a friend's house and that friend has a channel and suddenly your kid is like posting on the friend's channel and you're like, wait, 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 we need to have a conversation about this. And that's a feeling. I think a lot of parents feel like this is a runaway train. Yeah, you know, and I would probably put myself in that category. Now, I have younger kids. Our oldest is seven, but I, I'm with 20-year-olds, you know, as my day job. And so it, it makes me think about a lot of different things. But um, you talk about in your book how true screen wisdom is about relationships, which is kind of what you just alluded to a little bit. Can you tell us more about that? We always need to remember there's another person on the other end of these communications or there's other people, right? When I post a comment to YouTube, it's the person whose channel it is will see it, a bunch of other people will see it. And so we have to remember that's a human being, right? So if I don't have something nice to say, maybe I don't need to say anything. And if I wanna engage in a critical way, I still need to remember that's another human being, right? And so there's different ways to interact. And if I, if I wouldn't say it to someone's face, I don't wanna put it in a comment or a direct message or even something that feels anonymous, even, even in that situation, because I wanna be accountable for my behavior. Mm So -hmm. that's the other side of, you know, relationships and tech is sometimes kids wanna be anonymous in these spaces like Discord or something. And it's really important to think about, wait, who, what would attract people to anonymous spaces online? And if that's not gonna bring out the best in those people, do Yeah. I want my kid or my teenager, you know, hanging out there? Maybe I don't. Yeah. And so that's something though that I've been grappling with because we want we want that for our kids. But I feel like there's a large sector of adults who are not doing that very well. And so they are seeing this model, maybe not by their parents, but it's everywhere. You know, trolling is everywhere. People are mean. And so 
how can we sort of implore our kids to kind of rise above what they're they're seeing at every click? I think that's really challenging, but helping kids take a space away to self-regulate and even notice how you're feeling when you're using your phone. And sometimes kids might not be accurate reporters of their own emotions, but they might notice what they're doing physically. So are you holding your phone or a device really tight, yeah. hitting the keyboard or the face of it really hard? Are you holding your breath? These are clues that your brain isn't getting everything it needs to process mm. in a regulated way. And so ideally you want to slow that down, put it away, or if somebody's really offended you, maybe you need to talk it out in person or in a voice call versus, you know, on text or social media, things can escalate more quickly sometimes. Yeah. So it's really important to think about what you can do to be a checks and balances for yourself against drama, against stirring up conflict and kids can be taught those skills, but it's a lot to expect that we would hand kids a device at, you know, 10, 11, 12 and be like, here you go. Good luck and that they're going to get that right. They're going to need a lot more support than that. And do you think parents understand how much support kids need? Like we have a lot of information and yet I continue to hear about and see, I think the Washington Post just said 53% of 11 year olds have a smartphone. And so we have a lot of data and information, but do parents, do you think they have a good grasp on the kinds of conversations or depth or that kind of thing that kids really need for this. I think it's helpful to have a conversation guide and that's what I offer. I mean, both with ScreenWise and even like my little email course, my tech reset, all of these things are just helpful because it's helpful to think about what do I need to talk about with my kid today, right? What yes. are some little things we can have conversations about as a family? Because we all have so much to do. It's been a crazy few years for families. All of our work and school have been affected by the pandemic childcare issues, et cetera. Mm. So a lot of us are under a lot of pressure and it may seem easier to just let it say yes or no to the app. Um, and I think some parents also really think that monitoring is a solution. And unfortunately, mentoring is, is better and it's a lot more work, right? So I always say, you know, in all my work, mentoring is better than monitoring. But the fact is sticking a little, you know, text tool on there to monitor your kids feels a lot easier. What yes. you do with that information is unclear to me. Like, honestly, if you're reading all your 12 year olds texts, I'm not even sure what you're going to do with that information, <laughs> how that's going to help you parent in any right? way. Yeah. It's going to make you relive middle school and have trauma. So I don't suggest it, but I do suggest being in conversation with your kids about, have you seen kids leave other kids out or say intentionally yeah. things about other people? And like, here's like, let's talk about some strategies to respond to that. And ideally, you're doing that before your kid is even in those middle school group texts. Ideally, you're kind of having those conversations before they are jumping into that deep end. Yeah. Um, and then continuing to support them. And again, mentoring is a lot of work. And it sometimes involves helping your kid, you know, figure out how to repair a mistake yeah. that they made or that they contributed to. And one of the ways we can do that as parents that I think is so helpful and really brave for parents is to talk about our own mistakes that we've made, the time that we didn't BCC and we shared information with the wrong people, or the time that we were maybe intemperate in an email or a text and it led us to need to apologize and repair yeah. and how that works. Um, but what we don't want to teach kids is this is a high wire act and if you mess up, you fall off and that's it, you're done. <laughs> you know, because Correct. everybody's made mistakes in sure. their communication or everyone's made a comment that was a little hasty or sent an email they wish they hadn't sent. And so I think our kids need to also hear that they can move forward and repair and that they can give grace and forgiveness to friends who've made mistakes 
not that we want our kids to be doormats. You know, if somebody's being yes. awful to you online, unplug, get away from them, you know, block them. But if your friend makes one comment that you don't like, this is not the time to block them. This is the time to talk it through with them. Yes. And see, like, were they trying to be funny? Is there a plausible deniability here? Because yes. sometimes on text, things also sound worse than they were intended yes. to sound. Yes, you know, and so obviously, both of our work in media and communication, I'm just, it's a whole different language for these kids to understand their texting. That's almost like one of their primary, not almost, it is one of their primary ways of engaging. And so those things go wrong all the time. We've sent emails that get misconstrued. And so adults, if you know, they're uh, doing what, you know, doing the work, they're going to call and be like, hey, did you mean what you said in that email? But I'm not like, I want to make sure parents understand that they need to have these kinds of conversations with their kids. And frankly, I'm not convinced we're doing so great at it. But I mean, you would know more about those middle school parents than I would. Um, but it's, but it's also sometimes I think it's it's like a little like information overload. Right. So we're all these parenting things, all these blogs. And but like I think the communication with your child, you just made the point about, um, you know, mentorship, which I want you to talk a little bit about. So like, let's say I have just given my child uh, one of these tech milestone things that have happened. Like what is an example of a mentorship moment or maybe a routine or check in? Like, how do you approach that? That's a great question. When, when your child asks you for a new app, or says, you know, everyone at school is on this game and I want to play this game. You can ask them a little bit more like, so tell me a little bit about what you know about it um, and what's cool about it. So, you know, Snapchat, okay, so the images disappear and people do these stories and they have things like streaks, like tell me more about those things. Or you could um, ask the same thing about a game, like what do you know about the game? Do, do you know if kids play that on a, a device that's, you know, like a gaming device, like a handheld, like a Nintendo Switch, or do they play it on their laptops or their parents' mm -hmm. computers? Like, tell me more. And then have them potentially, if you're even willing to entertain it, like if it's a definite no, then maybe you don't go further. But if it's a maybe or let's learn more, like make a time with your kid, like say, okay, well, after dinner, you know, let's load the dishes and then I have a half an hour, like let's sit down at seven o'clock before we play a family game or watch a family show or do something together and just talk about it. And maybe you can show it to me um, and I can think about it with you, whether this is a fit and where it's going to fit into your life, like when you imagine yourself playing this game and how it's going to work. And then you can move forward from there. So when my son wanted his own laptop to do more writing, it was a pretty easy decision in some ways because I was sick of him using my laptop and he's yeah. writing long D&D adventures and he's got all these things he's doing that are really cool. But I did want to think about a laptop versus desktop because I wasn't sure I wanted it to come upstairs mm. for many reasons. And so we talked about that and he we agreed that a laptop would be better because he sometimes wants to play Dungeons and Dragons or other games at his friends' homes or be able to move to the dining room table or, you know, a place to be with other people. But we agreed that the, it was even though it's a laptop, it's going to live downstairs. Right. So we talked about that before it came into our home. Not that you can never have conversations after something comes in or sure. after in a way that's unanticipated, but ideally if you can have some conversations around expectations, especially for something big like a laptop or a first yeah. phone or something where it's not like they think they're going to have all these apps and they're going to have 24-7 access and you're like, no, this is actually just for texting after school for one hour. You know, like if yeah. you're 
totally in a different place, then it's that's going to lead to a lot of conflict. And as much as possible, you want to reduce that and be on as much of the same page as you can. And then obviously, if there's something unanticipated, like, oh, I didn't imagine you using it this way, but okay, we need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Then, and, and obviously, our, I think our tech rules need to be not just, we don't want our kids kind of lawyering up with us and being like, well, you said, right? It has yeah. to be also about intention, right? And so if the intention is getting enough sleep at night, <laughs> you know, or the intention is oh, yeah. um, always being kind, then all the rules need to kind of focus on that. And But it, it shouldn't have to be like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't want our kids kind of lawyering up about, well, you didn't say couldn't use it between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. You said I couldn't <laughs> after 11 p.m. It's like, yeah, the rule is you sleep at night and you're not on tech. Yes. <laughs> yes, I've met some very good lawyers in training that are 12 and 13 years old who have. Uh -huh. uh, yes. So, you know, you talk a little bit, one of the things about being a tech positive parent, and, and you know, I think that's probably tied to some of your mentorship stuff. Tell me a little bit about that. So tech positive parenting is just avoiding being fear based about things, even if they're unfamiliar, like say you haven't really spent a lot of time on TikTok yourself. We don't want to be just like afraid of TikTok because, you know, somebody wrote an article on Medium that says it's bad or, you know, there's a sense of like, oh, it's 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 less familiar. It's different. Um, you want to understand like why are kids? I mean, 67 percent just just a new study came out with Pew. Center for Internet and American Life, 67% of kids and teens are using TikTok, right? So it's pretty wow. popular. Yeah, it is. There must be something good about it, right, that kids like. And so instead of just being like, oh, TikTok, I think we want to be curious about what kids are interested in and positive about what's good about it, right? So there's a tremendous amount of creativity in this medium. There's a bunch of kids, for example, uh, reviewing books on there and talking about YA novels, like there's there's book talk, right? Mm -hmm. And so how great, like if my kid wanted to be reviewing books, I would be totally supporting that. Um, that said, you know, if they were nine, I guess I would have some guardrails up in terms of like their public presence, right? Because I'm, as I just finished this book growing up in public, and a lot of it is about how can we help our kids navigate privacy and reputation. Yes. So I wouldn't be like, yes, I want my nine-year-old to have, you know, a zillion followers and be famous, but I would be excited if my kid was kind of cautiously waiting in, you know, as a 15-year-old, say, reviewing books and doing other things, and especially if they're part of a community where other people are doing this and they're getting supportive feedback, that could be something really great. So I think a lot of our tech positivity is like, is this developmentally a fit for my kid? Mm -hmm. Is it making them vulnerable in a way that maybe isn't good for them? If you have a kid who's already struggling socially, maybe they don't need to put themselves out there someplace super public where they can get comments and maybe be a target. Maybe they want we want to be more selective about who they're in contact with in that situation. And as they get older um, and more resilient, then maybe they can put themselves out there more. But I think it's important to look at, is this a developmental fit? Where does this fit in with our family? Yeah. Do I have time to deal with this? If your kid's asking for something new and you're about to leave on a big work trip, maybe this isn't the time. And it can be like, hey, but it's not you, it's me. I can yes. see that you're ready. We said that to our son earlier in the summer about the laptop. We were like, we get that you're ready. You worked really hard and studied for your bar mitzvah. You have got, you, people gave you financial gifts that you could use to buy your own laptop. And we don't have time to take this on before our big trip. I so we're going to get you the laptop when we get back from the big trip because we want to work with you on setting it up and we want to have this work for our family. And right now is not the time. So, but it was like really clear, like it's not anything that you've done wrong. You're not in trouble. You're great. We just, and that could be the conversation you would have about a new gaming device or a phone. It's like, you have to look at your whole family's yeah. readiness. So tech positive parenting 
is taking away the fear, not assuming the worst, not assuming your kid wants to use this for some nefarious thing, and especially something that's less familiar. I know initially Snapchat made people nervous because they were like, why would my kid want disappearing images unless they were doing something wrong? Yeah. But the reason is that it's fun. The reason is it's fun <laughs> to take an ugly selfie, but maybe you don't want that being out there forever. And kids are actually savvy about their digital footprint. So I think they enjoy Snapchat and the idea of like the ephemeral disappearing image. Yes. Like it makes sense, you know? So I think that's something to think about is, you know, a lot of things our kids like, it's like, it's not because they want to do something bad. Yeah. And I think we see articles about, okay, there is a kid who bought drugs on Snapchat and passed away. So I'm not saying like, there's nothing bad going on or that nothing ever could be wrong and any app can be used for good or bad reasons. But in general, the reasons kids want to be in a place like Discord or a place like Snapchat or a place like TikTok is their friends are there and they saw something cool. That's it, right? Yeah. It's not some like secret nefarious reason. It's not. And so a lot of tech positive parenting is just remembering that they want to be where their friends are. They want to be where they saw something cool and interesting that corresponds with their interests. And a lot of their motivation is positive. And so we want to parent from that place. That doesn't mean we're not concerned and that we don't warn them about the dangers of some of these spaces or the dangers of connecting with certain kinds of people in these spaces um, or of the, the ways the algorithm can send them negative content. Yeah. You know, again, like you know, we, we learned in the Instagram hearings in the fall of 2021 that a lot of the content, especially uh, for young women, but in general on Instagram is very concerning around body image. Yes. So we definitely want to give our kids that note. Yeah. Um, but we can also look at the ways they're using it. If they're predominantly using Instagram to message and make silly videos with their friends, then it doesn't seem like we need to worry as much about the body image stuff than if they're constantly posting, you know, full body pictures and looking for likes, if they seem to be really troubled by it, if, it, yeah. if they're making radical changes to their appearance or their eating or their exercise habits, like those would be causes for concern. But if we see the way they're using it and it's like, they're talking to their five friends all the time, you know, on what they call a spam account, which would be like a smaller account that fewer people see. Yeah. And it's all jokes and funny, funny memes like, okay, like that's like the equivalent of the notes that we passed. And so I think we need to really look at not just is my kid using tech, but what's the role is it play, it's playing in his or her life? Is it connecting them with people who are mostly positive for them? Yes. Um, are they getting enjoyment from it? Are they learning from it? If your kid is watching cooking channels on YouTube and like baking amazing cupcakes, I want yes. to move to the house. Like that sounds great. <laughs> I you love know? that idea. I know. There's organizing videos too. Apparently some kids like to watch videos on how to make the house more organized and cool. I'm like, I wish my kid would watch that stuff. Yeah, seriously. Send me the link. <laughs> we'll get my daughter into that. You know, I think this is such, I, I, this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, Devorah, because I, I fall a little bit more in that fear-based. Um, although I don't really think my own kids would be, you know, I'm more, more afraid of like what would be coming at them than them being, but then if you think about that, that's how most parents feel. Most parents trust their kid. And, and I feel like that tech positive parenting comes out of good mentorship. That's like the connection I'm making. The more conversations you're having with your kids, the better you feel about their activity. And you're right. There's the internet has so much good. I mean, and a lot of these apps have so much good and so much learning but you know i feel like it's like getting over that hump and teaching them how to you know like you mentioned the relationship 
approach that but that fear base like that's really a big driver because i'm saying well wouldn't it just be better if they didn't <laughs> if they weren't like if they were outside but you know i think you bring up some interesting points about just their friend dynamic and that's you know is that an unrealistic you know are all kids you know like i had emailed you about like parents taking their heads out of the sand is this just a thing that if we can get ahead it's going to be a more positive family experience well i do think we want to help our kids find balance i mean if we see that our kids are not leaving the house or if they're only communicating with friends online maybe you know pandemic habits or other things or they've sort of gotten rusty on in-person social skills or they're feeling awkward or nervous we do want to kind of give them a gentle push or encourage them even to play video games in person with a friend for example yeah i think is different than playing just online all the time with friends so say you have a kid who's a big minecrafter or fortniter but he's like predominantly coming home after school and playing with the friends not in the room maybe there's a weekend where you can let the friends come over um, and it really encouraged that and kind of nudge that into happening. Yes. And obviously it's mu that's much easier with an elementary or younger middle schooler. I mean, I think when you have, say, like a 10th grader, sure. you are, have less control. <laughs> you can yes. encourage, you can invite, you can make your house exciting. You can buy pizza, but you can't like make your kid have people over. <laughs> buy a lot of pizza. You know, in like fifth grade, you know, you, you have a little more kind of, you can maybe even nudge with the other parents, especially if yeah, they make you feel too, like their kids are a little getting rusty on in person. So these are some things you can kind of take on because we do want our kids to hang out in person and maybe then they play a little Fortnite and then you nudge them out the door and they also do outside play, right? So I think it's, or you let them, you know, make a pizza or do something that's at least more, you know, face-to-face -face interactive. But, but I do think even playing video games in person and literally like looking at phones in person with other friends, yeah. obviously you want... You know, when you have kids over to do other things, just then look at YouTube, say, or TikTok or share mm -hmm. memes or whatever. But that can be a bridge and it can bridge some of that tween and teen social anxiety and awkwardness. Um, yes, if you have a sleepover, ideally you are unplugging the kids at some point because we mm -hmm. see kids become less and less inhibited and less and less good at making positive decisions as the night wears on. And so, you know, okay. the kid that you would think would never text kids that weren't invited or would never, you know, do something unkind you know, might at 3 a.m. if they've all got their phones. So ideally, you know, kids maybe aren't on on devices, you know, late into the night uh, when they're... Feels reasonable. Yeah. You know, and you just mentioned that that balance a little bit, which is one of the things I wanted to ask you about. You know, obviously we're coming out of, fingers crossed, ideally we're coming out of this sort of weird pandemic era where we relied on technology a lot for interaction, for schooling, for all of these things. And so how would we, what's a good way to rebalance after the last two and a half years? You know, and you mentioned your seven day um, tech reset, which I want you to talk about too. Yeah, I think a good way to rebalance is to, I mean, I have this free reset that you can take at seven emails over seven days and just has like, even if you just take one or two of the suggestions, you may feel like it makes your life more manageable. It takes on, it takes on some of the big questions families have. Amazing. And I think making one change per day or a few changes in a week is more realistic than sitting down with your family one night and being like, okay, we've gotten into some bad habits. Here's a long list of things we're gonna change. I also think parents need to be prepared to look at ourselves. And so if you wanna be really brave, Ask your kid for a tech habit that you have Ooh. that you would like that they would like you to reconsider or change. They might not like it when you hand them your phone when you're driving and ask them to text. A lot of kids hate that. Yeah, um, they don't like to be your social secretary. They don't want to do that, or they don't. Like
Like if you text and drive, heaven forbid, they definitely, that makes them nervous. Yes. If you are texting when you ask them a question or on your device and then you ask them the same question, showing yes. that you were listening, they hate that. So I think it's really brave to ask that question. Don't ask if you're already feeling vulnerable or if you're already yeah. in a moment with yeah. your kids. Ask when things are good because yes. when you can really take in that feedback and when you're actually in a place that you could make a change. Um, but I do think we need to be prepared to model and lead by example when we're trying to, you know, rebalance. Yeah. And I am in some ways one of the worst offenders in my own home. Like I struggle the most when mm -hmm. thing, when I'm away and I come back, it's really hard um, for me to, you know, get off my device. So we're, we're all, we're all learning to live with these devices and with this level of connectivity and it's no yeah. joke. And so it's I not. think, you know, resetting is something to think about, like when it, whether it's back to school, January 1st, there's a lot of opportunities in the year to think about like cleaning up old contacts, shutting down accounts we're not using, taking things off our phone that we don't want to use as, as frequently. And a high schooler can do this too. I've seen high school kids be like, I really want to focus on my swim, you know, season. Yeah. Or I really want to focus on AP physics. So I'm going to take this app that distracts me off my device. Like I'll still have the account and maybe I'll check it more occasionally. Even the grading apps that some kids have for school, they don't need to be getting those app updates as often. If you have a conscientious student who veers toward the anxious, they may need actually less access to their grades versus more. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but a lot of kids are checking their grade app multiple times per day. I learned in the research for this new book and it wow. blew my mind. In one class, you shouldn't be getting test results from another class in the middle. It's going to distract you. So kids need to take that off their phone a lot of times. Wow, that's really interesting. So yes, you know, and I think, Devorah, didn't you just um, post something about teacher communication recently? Yeah, five I ways. I did. To I did. Um, yeah, I thought that was be so a little bit less of a. I Thank you. Thank you. How not to be that parent. And it's and it's funny because I am an anxious mom and I am that parent. And I think a lot of us are like, wait, uh, my kid has an IEP. I need to be that parent. And I'm not saying you don't want to be like vigilant or kind of, sure. you know, let the teachers know who you are or anything like that. But we do need to remember that the era of 24-7 communication is a lot for teachers and think about whether they're an elementary teacher with 28 to 30 students or a middle school or high school teacher with 100 students or more, oh my gosh. they could be getting a lot of email from students, from parents. And so we want to think about if we email them during the school day, they're probably teaching, they're not going to get back right away. And that might be your norm if you're in a cubicle all day or in your sure. office all day and you have a minute, you're sending that note to the teacher at 9.30 a.m. Well, they might not get back to you at 9.32 a.m. the way someone in your field might. And so it's just good to remember like, oh, right, they're teaching my kids or some of those kids right now. Um, and if we email them at night, they might be sleeping. They get up so early. I so know. it's just really important to not to and, and to cultivate that awareness in our kids as well that we're not yes. going to. Yeah. So the thing I posted on Instagram is a little tongue in cheek. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was but if cute. you follow me there, I'm at Devorah Heitner PhD. Like that's a place where we can be a little, I feel like more tongue in cheek in Instagram, you know, like in my emails, I'm a little more like serious. Every, every place is a little different. Right. And that's yeah. a norm that our kids learn too um but just like we don't want to be teaching our kids that if you forget something ask the teacher it's like if you forget something look it up on the learning management system ask a friend from class only go to the teacher if like say you need to meet with a teacher for extra help absolutely email the teacher i'm not here saying kids and adults shouldn't email the teacher yep. i'm just saying it shouldn't be your first line when you forgot something and you or you didn't write down what she said like before you you know think about 20 kids writing to her every night um, think about can i get this from a classmate is there anywhere else i can go is the syllabus posted online 
Um, if you still don't know, or if there's a problem, like my kid can't finish the homework or it's way too much, or we're having a meltdown here, absolutely reach out. Um, and those are great. That's where as working parents, we're thrilled to have email yes. because it does involve that, that communication where we don't have to be available for a call at the same time as the teacher. That's right. Well, I mean, I love email for that, but I think we don't want to get into a situation where the teacher's job is 24 seven answering emails. Well, and I just like, it, it made me think of it because I'm, you know, we are modeling these behaviors. So we tell the kids, chill out, or you don't need your device for these two hours. But then we're like, well, the teacher didn't get back to me. <laughs> right. And we, you, what you don't want to do is be like some of my college students who would e email me at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. and 5 a.m. and then email my chair at 5.30 a.m. saying, Professor Heitner didn't get back to my four emails. I mean, you know, from teaching higher ed, like, I do. I don't want to raise that kid because that kid's not going to get the love when it comes to, can you give me a grad school, no. you know, recommendation. I'm like, I'm not feeling the love. You wrote mm -hmm. to my chair complaining that I didn't respond to your email at 3 a.m. Like, I'm sorry. I mean, and also, you know, for college students, like, don't email the teachers if you've been drinking. Like, if you're, yes. if you've been drinking, like, that's not a good time to check in with your mm -hmm. professor. No, no, it is not going to work out for you, kid. <laughs> no, exactly. So that's hopefully not useful advice for the K to 12 set, but it's something to think about. I think we need to do more on email and texting etiquette in general with our kids while we still have them at home. That's a great point. That's a great point. There's so many learning opportunities, truly. Deborah, this has been so interesting. I'm just like, I, I love your approach. I love your like not head in the sand approach and just really sort of working with your kid. So I want to close out here. Where can people connect with you? Where can they learn more about your work and what you're doing? Absolutely. So my website is devorahaitner.com. That's a great place to go. And you can also find me on at Devorah Heitner on Twitter, Devorah Heitner PhD on Insta. And um, those are some really helpful spaces. And I'm going to give you a link to put in the show notes for the free tech reset. Awesome. Um, and if you're thinking about getting a phone, I'll also share a link for my PhoneWise course, which is anytime in that first year before a phone or the first okay. year with a phone. It's a four-week class. It's like a boot camp for parents. Oh, amazing. Every conversation. It's got a phone contract in there that you can make with your kids that's, you know, a little more a little more uh, family-friendly than the T-Mobile contract language. I love that. And that's really so needed. And, you know, I think a lot of times parents are just looking for resources, right? We know we need to do something. And so it sounds like you have some great ones available. Well, thanks again for being here. I really appreciate this. I just think this is such a pervasive part of family life. And I'm so glad you're doing this work and speaking into all these families. Thank you. Thanks for having the podcast. I know that families need so much support right now. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Be sure to share with us on Instagram what you liked most about the episode by tagging me at Susanna.McMonagle. And lastly, if you want more information about the 5 to 8 Shift, you can check out our website, the5to8shift.com. We'll see you guys next time.